This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's the Liverpool Echo's Blood Red podcast. I'm Matt Addison with Theo Squires, Sean Bradbury and Tom Cavilla all with me. All four of us in all four different corners of Echo Towers for you today. We're going to have a quick chat about the intergame midweek in the Champions League and then we'll have a look ahead to Brighton, which takes place on Saturday lunchtime. Theo, I'll come to you first. We're not going to spend that long on Inter Milan. Liverpool got beat. It didn't particularly matter in the end. We're were the Reds below par, do you think, on, on the night? Or was it just a case of they knew what they had to do and they kind of just got a result that, that suited them? Probably a bit of both, really. So I, I'm struggling to remember this game. It's a rare Liverpool defeat. You already erase it from in memory, don't you? Um, I think with away goals taken out of European competition, Liverpool just went into it, defending a 2-0 lead. Like they knew it was very unlikely that Inter would get three goals at Anfield to turn it around. Like if they had been properly threatening to get a second, Anfield would have responded. There would have been that roar. But Liverpool weren't at the best. They looked a little bit tired in times. Players weren't 100%, but they still could have won. They still created a number of chances. You think Matip hit the woodwork, Sal hit the woodwork twice. Um, it's almost a sign of a good team, isn't it? Like You're creating those chances and you could have easily won 2-3-1 without playing well. Yeah, didn't take those chances on the day. But if there's ever there's a game to not take your chances and lose, it's one like this where it matters nothing at all. Get the loss out of the way. It's what the first well, home defeat in a year, just about, I think, since Fulham. I think we'd only just had the anniversary on that. We before the intergame. A year in a day, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, so yeah, it's just over a year. That's an incredible record when you consider where they were um, a year and a day ago when it felt like they were going to be losing every single time they went to Anfield without the fans there. They knew what they had to do. They weren't at their best. And maybe tiredness is creeping in a little bit, having had such an intense fixture period, having had the League Cup final. But the bodies are there to rotate. There's an international break on the horizon. Not really any concerns there. As I said, just get the loss out of the way in a game that doesn't matter. And as Mohamed Salah said in his post-match, press, um, post-match interview, uh, yeah, he didn't score against Inter. Maybe he'll score three in the next game. Yeah, I think it was uh, Peter Kravitz, I think, that Jurgen Klopp said. There are, are certain games that you can afford to lose and if you're a good team, you pick the right ones. And I think Liverpool certainly did that, Sean. In terms of the uh, the actual game itself, I wanted to ask you about the, the red card. Were, were Liverpool a bit lucky that Alexis Sanchez was a bit daft or was it just a case of they did what they needed to do and maybe that didn't make as, as much of a difference as, as some people might think? I think the timing of it, in terms of when he got his second yellow, was maybe slightly fortuitous because obviously it was ideal, wasn't it, coming after that goal and, and settling a few nerves. I thought from that point onwards, especially when LFC made the changes, they were pretty comfortable, really. But I, overall, I agree with what Theo said. I think it was interesting that Klopp in the press conference just gone was talking about the counter-pressing not being good enough and you know there were elements of the game he was dissatisfied with. But then also he said... The mood in the dressing room afterwards was a, was a little bit down because obviously it was a defeat, which doesn't come around too often for Liverpool at the moment. But he said he himself was quite happy with it. And I think over the course of the tie, Liverpool were much the better team. There can be no doubt about that. And I, I think there was two factors for me that made me pretty happy with the outcome on the night, even though it was a defeat. Like One was the physical approach that, you know, Inter were robust, um, if, if we're being nice about it. You know, at, at worst, they were... They were pretty grim at times in terms of how kind of hard they were going on in on Liverpool on occasions, and I think the ref was almost dangerously lenient at times. I thought with them, you know, especially in the first half, there were quite a few incidents where I thought he should have given a free kick at least, but um, that played into Inter's hands a little bit. And I do think Liverpool 
we all often see them. The, the natural game plan is to is to squeeze other teams, isn't it, with the high line and and everything we've seen about how successful Liverpool are and the way the teams made up. But this was a game where I felt in midfield, especially, they did just try and contain them for for once. You know, they did. They weren't as committed to really pressing high up the pitch, and and Inter did a bit of that. And you, you've got to give them a bit of credit for as much as uh, I think elements of their game plan were slightly agricultural. They, they did they did play very well, but. Yeah, I think that the main thing was Liverpool were capable of seeing it out, made the right changes. Midfielders who came on, I thought, helped them settle into the game. And, and that's been a hallmark of Klopp in recent weeks, hasn't it? He's he's rotated his squad well, he's kept players happy and, and he's made the right changes at the right time. So, yeah, I, I was I was there, I was in the crowd and there was a little bit of consternation, I think, in the second half. A few, few people around me were getting a bit nervy, but um, not just saying this with, with the benefit of hindsight, but genuinely didn't feel... Liverpool were too troubled. Always felt like they, they they had an extra gear to go up if if they wanted to. But I think it was a very sensible second leg performance. And you know we we were looking at this in the office of a day Theo and myself that I think if if Liverpool's season keeps on going well and and there's no reason to believe it won't. There's a midweek game in virtually every single slot between now and the end of the season. You know if they keep winning in all competitions. So finding a game where you can you know go at seventy five percent rather than a full throttle one hundred percent every now and then is is pretty essential and. They did that and they still got through, so job done. Yeah, job done indeed, Tom. I mean, they've had a, a couple of games now where they've maybe not been at, at the scintillating best. We've seen them play far better, but the crucial thing is they've got those two results that, that they needed in, in the end. I mean, I wanted to, to pick out Trent Alexander-Arnold, actually. I think he's been probably one of the, the better two uh, better players, I should say, across the, the last couple of games. I mean, we don't particularly need a reminder of, of how good he is, but I think he's one in particular that has, has stood out to me recently. Yeah. Um, well, Trent is always, you know, he's a seven or eight out of 10. Usually every time he plays, it's uh, quite rare for him to have an off day, particularly this season. He's been, you know, very good since the opening game of the season. And, uh, you know, you just sort of expect it, I think, each week from him and Robertson now. I know there was that brief period where, uh, Robertson earlier in the season, you know, people suggested that he maybe had a, a drop off in form and, you know, maybe to give Simicast a run on the side. But, you know, with Trent, it's always been a case of he's been the first choice and he's, he's never really had anyone, you know, trying to push him for that spot. So, uh, you know, that's a testament to Trent that Liverpool have, you know, don't feel the need to necessarily have someone like for like for Trent because just of how good he is. He can, you know, each time he plays, you know, he's going to be delivering a world class performance for the team. And uh, yeah, like you said, the way he's been playing recently has been really impressive. You know, the delivery of his crosses is is always to a high standard, and you know he's just so creative in the final third of the pitch for Liverpool. Yeah, with that being the case, there I'm sure it won't remain the case for much longer that Liverpool have kind of been struggling a little bit in terms of of scoring goals. Obviously, been a, a couple of of games now they've only scored the one. It was an important one, obviously, to to beat West Ham. But I think it's fair to say that the front three haven't quite been firing. Of course, we could be having a very different conversation if one or two of those chances that had hit the crossbar or, or hit the post potentially had had gone in. But I mean, it, it's no real concern yet. But you would expect that they'd want to, to turn that around as quickly as possible. Is that one to me or Sean's new friend in the background there? <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was definitely to you. <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose they have looked a little bit tired, the front three, and it's not helped that Jota's had the ankle injury and he's come back. He just doesn't look right. Whether he, he rushed himself back for the final, we know ankle injuries can be a bit delicate. You can be fit to play and you're still not 100%. It doesn't feel right. Um, and it's a hard one because he needs minutes. 
and he needs game time to get back to full fitness, to get that freshness. But if he's not playing at 100%, you almost feel like you can't give him those starts to get the minutes. So I think the international break's coming at a good time for Liverpool to get that back. Like imagine how we'd be feeling if they hadn't signed Luis Diaz now. If you think, well, they've just had Firmino out, uh, Jota's not at his best. Yeah, you've got Minamino and Origi there and they have scored goals when they've been turned to but they traditionally only get turned to properly in the domestic cups, not in the games that matter that little bit more. Um, Salah, he's probably maybe feeling the uh, aftermath of the, the AFCON a little bit, that final defeat. Like He's not been scoring goals as freely as he had been in the first half of the season. And that's not uh, negative on him by any means, because the, the rate he was scoring goals the first half of the season was obscene. It would have been something special for him to keep that on for a whole campaign. And he's still scoring goals. He's got four in the past month, but he's now three without. And like I mentioned earlier, we said he didn't score against Inter. We hit the woodwork twice. He was getting in the right positions, creating chances. Um, and he says he might score three in the next one. He, he has looked a little frustrated in recent games. I think he's maybe tried to do a little bit too much on his own, where he's found he's got three players against him and he'll try and wiggle through all of them, get into the box, and then his shot's blocked. And that's happened quite a few times. Um, and then let's remember, though, it is a new look front three. Like it's Sadio Mane adjusting to a new role, and he's doing well. He's scoring goals, playing this central role. Uh, Diaz, we know how well he's come into the side and he's linking up well. He's looked such like a Liverpool player for years, but it's still those teething problems that you, you expect. Then we're saying this when Liverpool are the highest scorers in the Premier League this year. They've scored over 100 goals altogether in, the se- in this season, and it doesn't really look like it's slowing up. Like Inter Milan, it was a rare game where they didn't score. Even when they don't play well, they still score goals, as we saw against was it West Ham last week when they got his chance there. So it's not anything to really be concerned about. I think it's just this period of the season where Liverpool have had such an intense run. Tiredness is maybe creeping in a little bit, but they've got the bodies there to rotate. So it's just about getting through to March international break. You've got these two big games now against Brighton, where you can... Uh, briefly narrow the gap on City and then the game in hand where you hopefully properly uh, narrow the gap against, against City when you play Arsenal. Then it's the FA Cup to keep the quadruple hopes alive and then they can just recharge the batteries in the international break go again. I don't think any of us are in real doubts that the front three will click and keep scoring goals. They've got the three top individual scorers in the Premier League as well, don't they? And, uh, Mane, Salah and Jota. Uh, you just need them to maybe start scoring a few more goals like they were earlier in the season. But this is the, the joy of what Liverpool have got that we can say that Salah and Jota aren't scoring as many as they were a few months ago. But it's when Mane's picked up, when before AFCON, he was on this lengthy goal-scoring drought and there were slight concerns about him. They've got so many attacking options now and they're high-quality attacking options that it don't really doesn't really need to be a concern. They will still find a way to score goals and win games. And it's a sign of a good team that you can get these narrow 1-0 victories or lose the right games. Um who knows, they might win 6-0 tomorrow. They did against Leeds, didn't they? It's always this sort of game that's just around the corner for Liverpool to really click and fly into top gear. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I've not got the numbers on this, but it does feel like Mohamed Salah has a decent record against Brighton. We'll move on to, to them now and, and preview that game, Sean. It's a, a game that Liverpool do have to, to definitely win. They've lost each of the last four games, Brighton only scored one goal in that time. It kind of feels to me like a, a decent time to be playing them. Yeah, I'd say so. It's been, been a strange season for them because obviously the manager and the team have had a lot of plaudits, haven't they? But I was just looking at the, the span of their results and they had a really good start to the season. I think they won four out of the first five, but then they've racked up so many draws. I think they've, they've got 12, which is um, 
join highest in the division with a couple of other teams. But yeah, like you say, recently they've, they've nosedived a bit. And we had a good piece this morning on the site from Rich, one of our recent recruits, and he's he chatted to somebody who covers Brighton week in, week out. And it was interesting, they were just talking about how much of the defence has been destabilised in recent weeks because um, I think Adam Webster has had an injury. He's been out. Dan Byrne obviously went to Newcastle and um, a bit of discussion around other players. Dunk, I think they were saying, has lost a bit of form. And it just made me think back to last season. You know, you lose key figures in defence, as, as Liverpool did, clearly, um, as every fan will know. And it just has a knock-on effect throughout the team, doesn't it? Your, your brighter attacking talents further forward are looking over their shoulder, the way you build out from the back, which is pretty key to Brighton. You know, they're, they're a bold and adventurous team who, who are happy to do that. You know, if, if you've got different faces in there and the keeper's not used to them, it just kind of mixes it all up a little bit. And I think, like you say, looking back at the games they have lost recently, losing games at home to, I think, Burnley and Villa is not it's not a great sign, is it, if, if teams who are a little bit up and down in form and towards the bottom half of the table uh, come to your place and getting results well. Liverpool's a different kettle of fish altogether, isn't it? So, yeah, I think I think there can be confidence for Liverpool tomorrow. And, and you're right, it is, it's it's a pretty good time to play them. There's, I suppose the one thing is that there's not a lot of pressure on Brighton, apart from the, the kind of basic pressure of wanting to turn their form around. I mean, you know, they're kind of where they usually are, aren't they? And, a few decent results between now and the end of the season, and I think I think they could still beat their best ever Premier League points tally. Or I think I'm pretty sure I read before that was only 41, and, and you know they're, they're within striking distance of that. So wouldn't say there's altogether too much pressure on them. But yeah, the 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 loss of form and the loss of players at the back is is a big thing. And I think there's there's enough there for Liverpool to capitalise. Yeah, whilst you were talking there, Sean, Theo's done the uh, the numbers. Five goals, five assists is for Mohamed Salah in nine games against Brighton. So it is a, a decent record. It, it did match up with the eye test. Tom, in, in terms of Brighton, I mean, obviously we have to, to sort of mention the fact that Liverpool were 2-0 up against them in the reverse fixture, ended up dropping two points in that, in that game. But is this a, a, a different Liverpool team to, to what it was then? Is this a, a different Brighton team as well? A, if that situation was to happen again this weekend, you probably wouldn't expect the same outcome. Yeah, I think when that draw happened, it was sort of that period in the season where um, Liverpool was sort of dropping points after going going in the lead. I think we had it against um, Brentford, a few other sides, sort of the October, November period, um, where you know where there seemed to be a bit of a problem of you know trying to see out games, and you know gradually over the season they have seemed to get better at that, you know, sort of grinding out results and. And picking up more points sort of over the Christmas period. So I think Liverpool, like you said, will will go into this with full confidence. I think I don't think they'll be sort of dwelling on that that draw they had against Brighton. I think that will just be, you know, quickly forgotten about on this occasion because yeah, I, I don't think there's too much you Klopp will be looking into that. You know, obviously they will be wary of uh, the quality Brighton have. Um, you know, as you guys have sort of touched on, they are quite a progressive side playing good football. Um, got some dangerous players, uh, particularly sort of in defence on the Lamptey at wing back as well, could be a threat going forward. So, uh, yeah, Liverpool have got to be careful of them, obviously, in that sense, but you'd expect them to uh, to come out on top on this occasion, I think. Yeah, we heard from Jurgen Klopp a little bit earlier, didn't we, Theo? And he was kind of talking 
along similar lines, really, in terms of, of the quality of, of Brighton, the, the manager that they've got. I mean, he does tend to talk up, talk up opponents in, in advance of, of Liverpool playing them. But I get the impression with this one, it is it is a, a genuine kind of admiration for Graham Potter. I think the, the job he has done there is is really impressive. And this will be, will be a bit of a test for Liverpool, even if they're not in the best of form. Yeah, he's a good manager, isn't he? Graham Potter. He's one who's maybe not at the most orthodox route to being a Premier League manager. But when you've seen his sides play, they do play good football and he has impressed throughout his journey. He's the one who was like in Scandinavia, wasn't he? He, he caught the eye in Europe before getting the move over to this over here to England. Um, but yeah, it's one where Liverpool haven't got the best record against Brighton recently. Like They won at Anfield last year. They drew one all, didn't they, at their place? I think Jota scored in that one and still dropped points. And then it was um, the tool draw that we've already touched on. And it's, I think, one where... They haven't had their best days against them, and it has been since Potter's come in. Klopp has spoken about this before, that there is that slight concern there. And Liverpool have had an issue recently where they've not enjoyed the best of fortunes against sides that play five at the back. And as Tom just mentioned there, that's what Brighton do. They've got Lamptey at right wing back. They've got some good players. No, they lost um, Dan Byrne in January, but they've still got some talented players there that can see the game out. But let's be honest, it's still... Brighton, it's still Liverpool. Liverpool on their day are a match-ready one. And that's, we're talking Man City's, Chelsea's, um, all these top sides in Europe. Brighton, at their very best, are going to a good cup run, maybe reach the semi-finals and finish mid-table in the Premier League. We're not, they're not a stage where they could be challenging for Europe just yet. They're bang on standards. And it's one where maybe Potter can take them to that next level of, in a few years, slightly pushing for Europe. They don't have the biggest budget, they don't have the biggest name players, but they have got the signs there. Or he'll just get poached to end up at a bigger club. Like he's one where if Tottenham's latest uh, appointment goes wrong, maybe they'll end up going for him. Or maybe Everton, that can be their next umpteenth manager. He's that sort of one, that next step up. And he's someone you wouldn't really be against maybe being a future Liverpool manager if he can make that journey because he does play the right sort of football. But it's one where Liverpool, they should get it done, shouldn't they? Brighton. I know we can't take it for granted. Whenever we seem to take things for granted on this podcast is when the horrible games turn up and Liverpool aren't at their best. But the way they've been, even when they've looked tired, they have been getting the results from the majority in the last few weeks. And you think that should be enough against the Brighton team. It's very different circumstances to when they played them last year, when you think it was just on the eve of getting all the injury problems, when they'd already lost a couple of the centre-backs at their place. And then we all know how horrific it was uh, at the start of 2021 with losing at home pretty much every single week. And um, the tool draw, it, it was a weird game earlier in the season. Um, I think Klopp said they weren't at their best then. They weren't deserving a 2-0 lead. It's understandable that they threw it away. But both sides are in a different place. Um, Liverpool going for all these honours. They're going for the Premier League title race. You don't want to play this 12.30 kickoff on a Sunday after a Champions League game. But hopefully they can get into it because they need the points, they need the win, they need to set down a marker to let City uh, try and slip up again, hopefully. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Absolutely. Well, just a, a couple more bits to go through from the press conference before we pick our teams for the game. One of those, Sean, was a bit of a, an update of sorts on Mohamed Salah's contract. We've since seen a little tweet from his agent as well. What do you make of, of the comments and, and the seeming reaction to those comments as well? Yeah, interesting. To be honest, the, the more I thought about it and, and reread Klopp's comments out of the context of just listening to him in the press, I, I think there's a bit of a quiet escalation of both positions today, really, because 
what Klopp said, albeit in quite a subtle way, I thought it was quite hard line because a lot of the noises from from Salah and, and and the Salah camp, if you like, so far have been that you know the balls in the club's court. Um, it, it's on them to whatever whatever it is that's being negotiated and whatever the sticking points are. They want movement on the club side, but Klopp quite defensively said it's most decision pretty much. The club did what the club can do, which you know contrast that to the tone he's taken in recent months and years with, let's say Henderson and, and Milner, where you kind of feel he's actively pushing and, and thinks there's if something's in the balance, you know, a word from him can maybe get it over the line and secure a contract for players he wants to stay at the club. I've got no doubt he, he wants Salah to stay, but it, it seems quite high stakes and. Obviously, the best outcome is that he stays, but there's always a context to that, isn't it? Context to that, isn't there? You know, what what is he asking for? Is it fair? Um, can Liverpool make an exception for him? Can they sell it to the rest of the squad? I mean, you'd like to think so because he's that good, but obviously that has a limit. And then, as you say, Matt, what came from his agent, which on the face of it was uh, just a, a string of laughing emojis on Twitter for anyone who's not seen it, which, of course, he may claim refers to absolutely anything. He could have been sat there watching a video on YouTube and just chuckling away to something he found amusing, but that it came so hot on the heels of what Klopp said in the press conference doesn't seem to me like much of a coincidence. And that that really doesn't cast him in a great light, I don't think, you know, trying to laugh off what, what Klopp said. And, you know, obviously Klopp is, is in a difficult position in all this. No doubt he wants the, the player to stay, but he's a representative of the club as well. And, Maybe to some extent, he's he's got to see it from their perspective. Um, no doubt he'll have been, if not directly involved in negotiations, he'll be clued up on how they're progressing, won't he? So, you know, it, it, it's difficult for him. But I don't know, you, you just wonder. For, for the first time, I'm, I'm just starting to think, listening to Klopp today, if 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 the worst was to come to the worst and, and this situation was to unfold in a way as such as he, at Salah, it was becoming more difficult for Salah to stay at Liverpool and to get something done. You know, is there a point where Salah's wages released and you can get, say, a bit of fancy football here, but, you know, Bellingham and Bowen through the door to replace what is undoubtedly the best player in the world on form at the moment, but someone who is potentially making things difficult for the club, but the more this goes on and the more it ticks away without some kind of deal done, you know, it does very much seem to be a bit of an, an impasse at the moment. I wonder, you know, Klopp's kind of body language and the way he spoke about it today did strike me as being slightly different to how he's handled other situations. So we will see. But just just last word on it as well. I think Diaz and the fact that they got him in January, that really changes the picture of it all for me a little bit. Partly because I think Liverpool have proven again that they can look ahead and look to replace key players in the front line. I think Firmino and Mane, if you're broadly looking at Jota and Diaz as their replacements, well, that's pretty good, isn't it? So... You know, you could be saying to Salah, well, we'd back ourselves to potentially replace you. Um, and, and the other one is, you know, what we've heard from Salah, and Klopp mentioned this in his presser again today, is how he, he wants a show of ambition from the club. And he's almost hinted that he wants that in terms of signings as well. You know, not just ambition in terms of what they'd be looking to pay him and keep to keep him. But Klopp said today, Salah expects this club to be ambitious. Well, what's Diaz? You know, they, they went out there and did it in January. Um, to, to trump other clubs to get there and get in there ahead of spares and to keep things ticking towards the end of the season to make sure they're fighting on all fronts. So I think there's, there's a lot there in terms of Diaz's signing where you could say it satisfies what Salah's seemingly asking for and, and it sends a little bit of a message in terms of how Liverpool is still a very attractive destination for players and, and the power they can wield. So yeah, interesting today for me. I think it was uh, two sides digging in a little bit. It's a game, isn't it? It's a case of um, who's going to blink first. Like 
it's yeah. Salah's not the only high-profile player out of contract in 2023. And I'm not talking about just Liverpool. I'm talking about across Europe. I did a piece on this earlier in the week. And you look at all the elite clubs. Right, Real Madrid, Benzema's out of contract. I think Asensio's out of contract. Bayern Munich, Thomas Muller, Gnabry, Lewandowski, who we know wants to leave Bayern Munich at the end of his contract. Um, City have got Mares, Sterling and Gabriel Jesus out of contract. PSG have got Messi out of contract, having got Mbappe out of contract this summer. The market has changed. Players are waiting until the end of the contracts. They're waiting to see. They're going. It's basically the case of going to the club. You either pay me what I want or someone else will. And these clubs can just sign players on free transfers and give them the wages they want because they don't have to pay those transfer fees. We know there are going to be these vacancies. Like If Messi leaves PSG, Benzema leaves Real Madrid and Lewandowski leaves Bayern Munich at the end of the contracts, those are three clubs where you can see Salah going on a free transfer and then they've got, oh, these wages are off the bill. We don't have to pay you a transfer fee. Here's half a million pounds a week or whatever he is demanding that Liverpool can't give him. And then it's just, well, it's going to become a merry-go-round, isn't it? X goes to one place, so then he leaves an opening and someone goes places him. Like, out of those names are listed. Or if you lose Salah on a free transfer, do you go for Gnabry on a free transfer if he doesn't sign a new deal at Bayern? It can work like that. And it's how the market seems to be at the moment. But then it, all it would take is one player to agree something and that closes one door and then that sets a going rate. Oh, this player is now on this wage at this club. Then maybe that'll have these knock-on effects for the rest of the clubs across Europe and players will look to stay put. But because of the pandemic and clubs can't afford to buy players out of contracts, they can't afford these big transfer fees. Players know if they sign these deals, they are stuck at these clubs until the end of it. It has changed the market. Similar to how the Neymar deal when you went to PSG changed the market completely. Like If that hadn't happened, Liverpool wouldn't have got 142 million for Coutinho. No chance. That changed what the clubs were paying. And this has now changed the market again. And we're going to see the most high-profile case of that this summer when Mbappe presumably goes on a free transfer to Real Madrid. Pogba could go on a free transfer from United. Dybala could go on a free transfer for Juventus. It isn't just a Liverpool problem. It is all across Europe at the moment. And then when you've got these comments from Klopp, he's got to toe the club line. He knows what the club are wanting to do and he knows what Salah wants and he's stuck in the middle. He's just got to focus on getting the results on the pitch and getting the best out of Salah on the pitch. And they're both going to have the best interests at heart. The agent's obviously going to have his client's best interest and his own back pocket's interest at heart. So he's going to split the divide like this by making those comments because you can just see looking at the comments and response to him. Fans are either team Salah or the team club, aren't they? They're either going, oh, if he's going to be like this and the agent's going to be like this, get rid of him. We don't want someone who's bigger than the club or that, oh, we can't afford to lose and we have to pay him whatever he's worth. Um, we've seen a few agents make uh, enemies of Liverpool fans in the past, whether it's a uh, representation of Reem Sterling or Bobby Duncan. Uh, if Salah's agent's not careful, he could be the next one. But at the same time, he, he won't care at all. He's going to get his pay packet whether Salah signs a new deal at Liverpool or if he joins one of these top clubs in Europe. It's certainly intriguing to watch. and Normally, you'd be nervous when you get into the last 12 months of a contract. But as I said, the mar market has changed. This is unprecedented times. And that's why it's a, a bit uncertain. It's a bit a game of a cat and mouse, isn't it? Wait and see who blinks first and whether Salah does staper or if he is lured away by one of these big guns elsewhere. Yeah, it does feel like a, a bit of a trend, doesn't it? That free transfer thing. There's two or three Chelsea players as well in a similar sort of situation. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen at all with them moving forwards over the next few months, Tom. But in terms of sort of the, the agent and the taken to Twitter. We, we've seen him do it a fair few times in terms of, of these kind of cryptic tweets. But to me, it just doesn't strike me as being particularly helpful if, if he's going into negotiations with the club. I mean, it, it doesn't 
even appear that professional to me. I mean, what, what are your sort of, of thoughts on the, the the kind of reaction from his agent? Is that is that helpful or is he just making it a little bit more difficult? Um, well, it's not it's not helpful to Salah probably. Um, obviously, I think most people would agree about Salah. The, the thing about him is, you know, at Liverpool, how professional he is, uh, how committed he is to, you know, being a footballer. Whereas, you know, you might see incidents of players you know getting into trouble off the pitch or whatever it may be you know Salo's you know the last person you'd sort of associate with that kind of thing um just never injured always performing to a high level just dedicates himself you know the physical condition condition he's in as well as a player it just shows his commitment as well so you know to have that and then you've got this side of it with his age and it kind of reflects badly on Salah in a way although it's not directly his fault you kind of associate him you know, being linked to Salah. So then that becomes a problem for him. I don't know whether Salah, you know, what his view would be on it. I suppose that's out of his control, what his agent posts, but I can't imagine he would be uh, too pleased about <laughs> his agent posting things like that because, yeah, it doesn't really help anyone. I mean, I don't know what what the agent's hoping to get out of it. I don't know if he suddenly thinks that, you know, Liverpool are going to, reduce their demands because he's posting things like that. I highly doubt that would be the case with it. So, um, yeah, I, I just think it really reflects more badly on um, the agent himself. And uh, it's a bit, a bit of a strange one, really. But um, I would be interested to see what happens next with it because, you know, to come out with things like that, it just suggests that, you know, maybe it's not going as well as everyone thinks it is. And... I know who knows what will happen, but it is a bit strange to be seeing that because you don't often, you know, we hear things about Raiola and he'll do interviews about his players, but that's sort of done in a different way to this. It just feels a bit childish the way he's going about it. So, yeah, I can't imagine Liverpool would be too pleased about it either, to be honest. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, it feels like a, a crucial few months, doesn't it? I think that the last thing we all want is to have to go into the next transfer window with Salah having 12 months left and have all of, of those kind of, of discussions. So hopefully it can be resolved. But as you say, it does feel a little bit of a way off that being the case just yet. I think we'll move on now to uh, sort of picking our teams for, for Brighton. I was going to mention the, the injuries separately, but we might as well just throw them into that section as Bit of a, an update from Jurgen Klopp in his press conference, and I'm sure we will go through those sort of bits just now. We'll start with Alisson in goal. Theo, I'll come to you first. That The back four could be potentially one or two changes in there. Yeah, it's confusing, isn't it? Um, I'll start by saying one player missed the game in midweek. Uh, we were told that Klopp would address it, but no one asked him the question, so he didn't address it. Then the same player missed training yesterday, along with two other players. And then Pop said there are no new injuries today, but he hinted at a COVID outbreak. So uh, I will let everyone make their own minds up about which players that could be referring to, judging on what's happened this week. But then it could just be, oh, everyone's fine. They'll play tomorrow. Maybe a fair pitch has emerged from training or a video from training later. We'll see. And there'll be a further update from the club. But it is all very cryptic. He was quite cagey in keeping his cards close to his chest. Um, you, like you say, Alisson's probably going to be in goal. Trent and Robertson are probably going to be the full-backs. And it's just then, well, who's at centre-back? Like It could be a case of everyone's fine and then you'd go at Van Dijk and Matip. Or it could be a case of players have COVID and you might have to put Gomez in there. Um, let's 
be positive. Let's assume everyone's okay. And let's go Van Dyke and Matip. But we'll, we'll find out more in the next few hours, well, before half 12 tomorrow. Sean, which four are you going to go for? I mean, for, for me, this feels like a game that you could throw Joe Gomez in and, and not be that worried, to be honest. Yeah, I think so. I think, as Theo says, it is the picture is a little bit unclear, but if there's any doubt around anyone, and especially if, you know, saving them this weekend would mean that they'll have a good chance for Arsenal in midweek, then you've got to do that, haven't you? So, yeah, Gomez and Matip, we were looking before in the office, they, they have played together this season. I think Preston away in the Cup was, was at least one occasion where they started together. It's it's a it's a very capable duo, isn't it? I'd have no problems there if that was the two. And then yeah, I think Trent and Robertson undoubtedly will start this one, and they can do both. The league ones can't they? And then you can bring Simicas, perhaps Milner in um, at fullback next weekend for the FA Cup. Yeah, no uh, Virgil Van Dijk or Ibrahim Konate in the training pitches on Thursday, Tom. But assuming that all four centre backs are fit, would you go with the the first choice too? Or obviously there is that big game away at Arsenal to come on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean Konate's played quite well when he's been playing recently, so you know he may be tempted to potentially you know try and maintain that form and play him alongside Van Dijk potentially. But I think he probably would go with Matip ahead of him just. But, I mean, I, I don't think there would be too many complaints or either way if he went with Canate over Matip um, just because of how well he played, particularly against West Ham. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd go with uh, Matip and Van Dijk, But, yeah, like I said, I think Canate would be a, a good option as well if he is fit. Yes, we shall see. Let's move on to the midfield then. Thiago was another player that missed training on Thursday, Theo. So that could come into the equation. I mean... I'm actually going to take Fabinho out for this one and, and save him for, for the Arsenal game. I think it might be Jordan Henderson as a six, maybe a chance for Harvey Elliott potentially to, to come in. But which three are you going to go for? Yeah, that's pretty much what I've done for um, our selections for the written article tomorrow. I've put Henderson in as the number six with Harvey Elliott at the right side. And I think I went Oxlade-Chamberlain on the left. Um, I know he, he's not had the best time when he's been playing recently, but with Liverpool looking a little bit leggy, you do need to rotate. And we know how much, uh, how demanding it is when you're in that Liverpool midfield. Um, if there are any doubts over Thiago when he's just back from injury, you don't want to risk him, not at all. Like, he's going to be so much so important for us this season. So save him for those bigger games. Um, and then there was a doubt about Naby Keita. Was it last week or against Inter? Where Pop hinted he had an injury and then he actually was in the squad anyway, played anyway. Um, so there are options there but it does seem like a good time to rotate and then go a bit stronger against Arsenal and then rotate again for the FA Cup. So I'll go along with what you said there. Yeah, I, my third man actually was Naby Keita, but it'd be interesting to, to see which of, of those players do do come in. Sean, which which three are you going to go for? Difficult this. I see where you're both coming from. I think it would be good if there was potential to rotate the sixes and give Henderson one and Fabinho the other, but I'm not sure it's quite that much of a banker tomorrow really and especially if we are talking about the centre arse potentially chopping and changing and Gomez coming in alongside Matip albeit you know you'd have confidence in that partnership it's not it's not one we've seen a hell of a lot this season and you know Gomez is coming in slightly cold isn't he if, if he is starting so I, I think you've got to look to have Fabinho in probably both these games and then maybe maybe go with Henderson as the six in the FA Cup so yeah I'd go Fabinho Henderson and Naby Keita Tom, are you team Fabinho or team Jordan Henderson? Um, I was thinking about both. <laughs> I don't think um, 
think about your Swiss dimensions, mate. Think about your Swiss dimensions. I think I'd go with Henderson, um, Cater. I don't think Thiago maybe might not play him. Just obviously had that sort of scare. Of the, it wasn't necessarily an injury, but I don't know if he'd you know want to risk playing him in this game. Probably prefer the Arsenal game for Thiago. I might. Uh, I don't even know. He might may go with Jones. You know, he played well um, against Inter Milan when he started. So maybe he'll give him another chance in midfield uh, alongside Henderson. But I would probably go with Fabinho and Henderson and Cater. But I. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised maybe if he went with Jones instead of Cater. Yeah, still plenty of options, isn't there, Theo? We'll move into the forward line then. Again, plenty of options. Roberto Firmino now back from injury. Jürgen Klopp confirmed that he could be involved tomorrow. Are you going to play him or are you going to have him on the bench? So plenty of options. Didn't we pretty much all pick every one of the midfielders apart from Thiago there? <laughs> Making it confusing for our video. It's just watching this, choosing the strongest 11 for tomorrow. Um, I wouldn't risk Firmino from the start. It's, he's been out for a while, muscle injury. They weren't very specific about what sort of muscle injury it was, I don't think. But it's a case of when you've got the depth, you don't need to risk players. You don't need to rush them back and start them when you know they're not going to be 100%. Uh, so you keep him in reserve. I've already made this this point about Jota. He still doesn't look right. So I'm still leaning towards keeping him in reserve, gradually letting him get back up to speed. Um I'm thinking Mane through the middle again with Diaz and Salah. But then it's also a sort of game where I wouldn't be against Minamino coming in, actually, because he did well against Norwich in the Cup a couple of weeks ago. It's the sort of game that suits him, whether that was through the middle or, or out on the left. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it will be more stronger than that. I, I think it will be Diaz, Mane, Salah. But Minamino is an option, which is good, because Liverpool do need these options. Yeah, I'm going for the same three, actually. I fancy Diogo Jota to have a rest and then score a couple against Arsenal, as he has done already this season on Wednesday. Sean, which three are you going to go for? Yeah, I think I would put Firmino back in from the start and just, you know, say, give he's us an hour. Well, he's been he's been around in training this week, hasn't he? I think he was, he was pictured in training before the Champions League game, wasn't he? Albeit he didn't feature. So, you know, that, that's a few sessions. Um, and... He's going to have to be thrown back in at some point. So, you know, when when do you do it? I mean, I do get the argument that the international break's coming up. and He does score against Arsenal there. as well. Just putting that out there. Bobby does uh, like Arsenal. Though. True. But so does Sadio. See, this is my... I, I would go with Firmino and say, give <laughs> so us an energetic hour. Yeah, they all do, they all do to be fair. We'll, we'll, we'll be fine midweek, hopefully. But, um, yeah, I'd, either Firmino in the middle, I would play Diaz on the left and Salah on the right. And, yeah, ho- holding back Mane and Jota for Arsenal. Tom, which configuration are you going for? Uh, I think I'll probably go with Theo's three on this one. Uh, I'll probably go with Diaz, Salah and Mane, I think, on this occasion. And then uh, maybe bring on Jota and Firmino later on in the game if you need a goal. Yeah, not bad options to have, certainly. Let's go for our match predictions then. I think I'm going to go for a 2-0 Liverpool win. Fancy a couple of goals and maybe a clean sheet as well for Liverpool I might change my mind if there is one or two changes in that defence. Who knows? We shall find out very soon. Theo, um, score prediction from yourself. It's very boring from you, Matt. Very safe. Just going for 2-0, which I'm going to, isn't it? I say 2-0 every (laughs) single podcast, don't I? When when was the last time I didn't say (laughs) 2-0? I think uh, if it's 2-0, you'll be happy that Liverpool will become the second ever team to reach 2,000 Premier League goals. So I'm sure they'll be very happy with that. Um, But we we don't have a clue what centre-backs are available. So uh, let's go 3-1. They still get the record, but no clean sheet this week. 
So basically, I've mocked you for your scoreline and done a nice tweak on it. It's the same thing. Yeah, same goal difference. We'll take it. Any <laughs> win, a win's a win. Sean? I'm fully team Addison here, 2-0. The most dangerous lead in football. And then see if they can um, see if they can hold on to it this time, unlike the last home game. But yeah, as well with the caveat of let's see who's at the back. But, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully a fairly comfortable one. Yeah, it would be nice to have just a, a routine win, a three points, a clean sheet. I think that would tick a, a good few boxes for Liverpool. Tom, how do you reckon it might play out? Uh, I probably would have normally gone for about two or three nil, but just because they haven't been scoring many recently, I might go for one nil just to get a, you know, might just nick this one, I think. I thought you were going to go the other way there and say they do a few, so 5-0. No, I think it will be closer than, than people think. I'll go 1-0. Yeah, well, as long as they win, that will do us, I think. I think that will just about do us for this podcast as well. Plenty more stuff to come across the usual channels before and after the game, of course. But from myself, Matt Addison, from Sean Bradbury, Theo Squires and Tom Cavilla, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.